Well, it's good to be gathered with you this morning. It's, it's good to get together with a bunch of perfect people. It's kind of fun to be able to, to leave the outside world, kind of lead all, leave all of those needy people who have struggles and issues. And it's just kind of nice to huddle up together and we can kind of celebrate our perfections and kind of just rejoice together. I hope you know this morning that I'm lying. And I'm done lying now. But experience would tell me and the scriptures would tell me that this morning, we don't have a lot of perfect people gathered here today. We've got people here who are in one of two camps. A, there are people who are really struggling, who are dead in your wrongdoing because you haven't come to faith in Jesus yet. Or we've got people here who are, have faith in Jesus Christ, forgiven in Christ, but still struggling in this battle we have with the flesh. You see, when the Bible describes the Christian life, the Bible never uses the word perfect. The Bible never uses the words easy going. When the Bible describes the life of a Christian, a lot of the terminology that's used is it's a battle. So, for example, in Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is describing the life of the Christian. And he's describing the life of the Christian. He's saying, you've been given the Spirit now, but yet you're in the flesh. Don't give in to the flesh, but walk in the Spirit. When you give in to the flesh, this is what's going to happen. And when you give in to the Spirit, you're going to have these fruits. And so the Christian life, you could say, is a constant battle between the flesh and the Spirit. The Christian life is a constant battle because we're waiting for our ultimate home, the kingdom of God, yet we're living here in this corrupt world. The Christian life is anything. It's not perfect. So we come here today, every single one of us, we come here struggling this morning. If everybody here was honest this morning, you could finish the following sentence. I struggle with. And all of us would finish that sentence differently. Some of us this morning would say, I struggle with anxiety. Some would say, I struggle with anger. Some would say, I struggle managing my finances. Some would say, I struggle with this or that addiction. All of us could finish the sentence, I struggle with. These next couple of weeks, we want to dig in and try and deal with some specific struggles. What would it look like if we let God's truth retrain our understanding? How would that help us in some specific struggles? This morning, we're going to deal with with one struggle, but the next two weeks, we're going to deal with struggles that I'm going to let you vote on. So when you leave here today, if you go to our Facebook page or you go to our website, you'll see a thing there that says click here and you'll be able to take a poll, a vote. There's like nine different struggles listed. You can pick two of them that you've struggled with. And whichever two get the most votes, in other words, whichever two, if we're all honest, we're struggling with, the next two Sundays, we'll deal with those struggles. So I invite you this afternoon to to do that, to share what you're struggling with. It's it's anonymous, but that'll help us understand what all of us are struggling with so we can look at God's Word together over the next two weeks. So this morning, I let the staff pick the struggle that we are going to study today. Well, why is it important that we deal with our struggles? Why not just say, hey, we're in a sinful world, we're going to continue to struggle? There's two big reasons why we should battle with our struggles. The first is this. If we remain in our struggle and our struggle overcomes us, the glory of God is diminished. 
What I mean by that in non-biblical language is this. When you and I are overcome by our struggles, the greatness of God is not seen by people outside the church. The Bible tells us that God's greatness is really seen in two different ways. First, by creation itself. So, for example, if you're out at Grand Canyon or you get to see some other just amazing piece of creation, a bald eagle swooping down and grabbing a fish out of a river, the Bible tells us that 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 piece of creation declares the greatness of God. That's one way that the greatness of God is seen. But the other way that the greatness of God is seen or the glory of God is seen is through God's people. God's glory is seen when God's people reflect God's character or God's purposes. And so when we're struggling, when we're swallowed by our struggles, guess what's happening? God's greatness is being diminished because the world around us then isn't seeing God's greatness reflected to them. So we should have great motivation to battle against our struggles because we want God's greatness to be seen. The second reason that we should battle against our struggles is that when we struggle and the struggles overtake us, our neighbor's soul is harmed. Maybe you've never thought about it this way. Well, that's my, what does my neighbor have to do with my struggle? Well, think of this. If you struggle with anger and when somebody is maybe uh, short with you, someone has got an issue with you and you're unable to respond in a patient way, but you respond with anger, who's that affecting? It's affecting your neighbor. It's affecting whoever that you're interacting with. Your anger is not just an issue for you, but it's affecting the people around you. If you struggle today with bad financial management, you might say to yourself, hey, it's my money. Why is it any of your issue? Well, the Bible tells us this morning that your neighbor is being harmed because of your bad financial management, because those who are in need are supposed to benefit from our generosity. And so if I'm struggling with bad financial management, guess who's being harmed? The people who are struggling. And you might, well, that's weird. That's how God created us, though, was to be people who benefited the community. So when we're overcome by our struggles, it's our neighbors who are hurting. When you have an addiction in your life, whether it be alcohol, drugs, pornography, whatever it might be, that's not just between you and whatever you're addicted to. Do you know who that's affecting? That's affecting your kids. That's affecting your parents. That's affecting your co-workers because it's affecting the way you view people and the way you interact with people. We should be battling against our struggles because we want God's greatness to be seen. We should be battling against our struggles because we want to bless our neighbor. That's our motivation in battling with our struggles. Too often in the church, though, we show up and everything's fine. How many people don't come to church because they think, oh, I don't want to go there, everything's good there? When in reality, if we were honest, we all come with different struggles. We just rarely deal with them because we rarely acknowledge them. This morning, we're going to acknowledge one of our struggles. We started by reading Mark chapter 12, and you might be saying to yourself, I didn't hear any struggle in Mark 12. I heard Jesus say, love. What's the struggle? Jesus responds to the question and says, love God and love your neighbor. What's the struggle with that? Well, the struggle is this. There's a lot of unlovable people out there. There's a lot of difficult people out there. There's a lot of difficult people in here. There's a lot of different people out there. There's a lot of different people in here. 
So Jesus is pretty clear, love your neighbor. The Bible is actually crystal clear. There's a lot of stuff that the Bible's not completely clear about, and there's just these mysterious things. There's one thing the Bible's crystal clear about, though. God wants his people to love their neighbors. Jesus says it there, and then in different times throughout the New Testament, the Apostle Paul summarizes the whole law. So, for example, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, the whole law can be summed up with this one word, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 11, the Apostle Paul starts talking. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except to love one another. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. And then he finishes the section by saying, the law is summed up in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of God's commands are built under the central theme and all are worked to fulfill the central command, love your neighbor. God wants us to be lovers. He created us to love Him and then love people around us. It's crystal clear. The command is clear, but the implementation can be extremely difficult. So how do we love difficult people? This morning we want to do two things. First, we want to do this. We want to refresh and renew our own understanding. There's certain lies that we've bought into. There's ideas that we've placed into our minds and our hearts. Those ideas influence how we live. So we need to refresh and renew our understanding. And then secondly, we need to have some PAT, practical application today. Some things that we can do specifically today for those whom we're struggling to love. First, we want to renew and refresh our understanding. The word love is overused. I mean, how many times we hear, oh, I love Taco Bell. Oh, I love the Green Bay Packers. What does that mean? And who would love them to begin with? But that's beside the point. I mean, what does it mean to love Taco Bell? Kind of have this giddy feeling about this taco shell that you get. And so we use the word love is overused on one hand. But at the exact same time, the word love is underused. We've got children in our own city that haven't heard, I love you. We've got people all around the world that have never heard the phrase, I love you. It's underused and it's overused. We need just to redefine love from a biblical perspective. So what is love? According to the Bible, I would contend we can define love the following way. Love is an inward desire or attitude of the heart that is poured out in meeting the needs of others. Love is a selfless attitude or desire of the heart that is poured out in meeting the needs of others. Where does this come from? It comes from the book of 1 John chapter 3 and chapter 4, where it talks to us about how we know love by the fact that we didn't love God first, but God loved us. So in 1 John 3, it says this, we know love that he laid down his life for us. In other words, John is saying this, love is defined by Jesus' death on the cross. In 1 John 4, he says the following, We know, love, that God sent His only Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Big word simply means this, that God sent His Son Jesus to be a sacrificial substitute for our wrongdoing. So love is defined by the selfless act of Jesus dying on our behalf for our benefit. So love has a selfless attitude of it, saying it's not about me, but love pours itself out to what? 
meet the needs of others. Love is not just a feeling. Love is not just this this giddy thing that I feel, but love does have this inward desire to it. But it's not just that. It's action, what? Poured out for the good of others. So when Jesus died on the cross, what did he do? He met our greatest need, the forgiveness of our sins. And that's how love is defined then. Love is defined by what? When you meet someone's need. You're doing something for their good. Love is not just a feeling. Love is also not just the absence of evil. I think many of us today, I know myself, I've thought this way before, have thought, hey, I'm loving so-and-so because I'm not hating them right now. I'm not doing any harm to them, so therefore I'm loving them. Loving is more than the absence of evil. Now, uh, I want to share a story, and this story is just be very careful how I share this. could get me in trouble, but it's really a friend of mine brought this up. So we were talking, it's pheasant hunting week, right? And so a friend asked, hey, have you been out pheasant hunting? And I said, ah, I haven't really been pheasant hunting for a couple of years. You know, kids have kind of come on the scene, and that's kind of gone by the wayside. Maybe not the most appropriate thing to say in front of your wife. Thing. But um, my, my friend, this is him who said this. My friend said this. You know, so my wife says, hey, I've never told you you shouldn't pheasant hunt. Which is true. She hasn't told me I shouldn't pheasant hunt. My friend says, not me, my friend says, well, you haven't told him that he should pheasant hunt. Do with it what you will. But a good point, right? It's one thing to say no. It's a completely other thing to what? Say go. Love is not just the absence of evil, but it's actually the presence of good. I cannot say I'm loving my neighbor by saying I'm just not doing any harm to them. The question is, am I looking out for their good? Am I helping meet their needs? So love is an inward attitude, a selfless desire within us that's poured out through actions of meeting the needs of others. We have to redefine love, understand love as that selfless attitude that leads to action for the good of others. The second thing that we need to reframe and re-understanding is that it's a contradiction. It is a denial of God himself to not extend love to someone who is our enemy, to someone who is different, or to someone who is difficult. If I deny extending love, I am denying God. This is a really hard one to swallow. This is tough to understand, but it tells us in the Bible in 1 John chapter 4, it says the following, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And then it goes on to say this, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Very simply, God's word is saying to us, hey, if you can't love the person who you see, you can't be a lover of God. So I cannot claim the name of Jesus Christ and then what? Not be willing to extend love to people who are difficult, people who are different, and people who are my enemies. It's non-negotiable. I didn't say it's easy. It's non-negotiable. Saying that you do not have to extend love is kind of like saying the following, I enjoy sugarless candy. 
I mean, let's be honest for a second. Who buys sugarless candy? It's not enjoyable at all. Let's take it another step further. Once it's sugarless candy, it's not really candy anymore. It's just it's an oxymoron. So to say, I'm not going to extend love, is that's just anti-Christian. Because if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm the beloved. I've been loved by God and I serve a loving God. Therefore, I must love. I need to redefine love according to the Bible. I need to understand that it's a contradiction to not extend love, that I'm denying God in the process. The third pill that we have to swallow, how we have to refresh and renew is this. Our love for someone is not dependent upon them being lovable. Our love for someone is not dependent upon them being lovable. Let me share with you the words of Jesus. Jesus in Luke chapter 6 said the following, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Okay, it's this not Pastor Rich saying, hey, I think we should love our enemies. Good idea. This is Jesus multiple times throughout the gospel saying, hey, you have to love your enemies. What good is it if you love those who love you in return? Even sinners do that. Even atheists do that. But God is telling us, your love for someone is not dependent upon them being lovable. He goes one step further. It's one thing to love someone. Look, look what he, notice what he says here in verse 35. He says, do good and lend. So Jesus is saying what? Lend to your enemies. Now, some of you would be willing to love someone, but you're not willing to lend them money. Jesus is going a whole step further saying, hey, 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 even those who what? Are unworthy of your lending, lend to them. Why would God say this? Love the unlovable, love the enemy. He would say this because that's what he did. This is central to your understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ is that you and I are unlovable. You and I were at one time enemies of God. It says in Romans chapter 5 that for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that while we were enemies of God. Did you know that at one point in your life you were an enemy of God outside of Jesus Christ? And you know what God did? God loved you anyhow. God did not wait for you to become good, but He initiated with love. I am unlovable, but God loved me anyway. And when we understand this, when we're grasped by the magnitude of our own sin, when we're grasped by the magnitude of how God has initiated with us, it allows us then to pour out to others what has been poured into us. God loved the unlovable in loving you and I. And now He's asking us to do the exact same thing. We've all got people in our lives who are difficult, different, and who are enemies. But guess what? For someone else, we're those people. So I want you to repeat after me this morning. I am difficult. I am different. I am tough to love. And even in the midst of that, God loved us anyway. And he sent his son Jesus to die on our behalf. We have to remember that for others, we're the different one. 
we're the difficult one. Be mindful of that. We need to be renewed in our definition of love, that it is a selfless attitude of our hearts that pours itself out in action. We need to be reminded that as followers of Jesus Christ, it's a contradiction to not love. We need to be reminded that loving someone is not dependent upon them being lovable. So what do I do? What do I do with that person, that in-law, who's constantly nagging me for doing something that they think I should do a different way? What do I do with that co-worker who's constantly annoying me and I just can't stand them? What do I do with that fellow church member who I just don't want to spend time with? What do I do today? I know those things. I want to give you three practical things that you could do today if you want to say, hey, I want to fulfill Christ's command. First is this. Speak positive about that person. Not speak positive to them. You should do that as well, but speak positive about them. Most of us are pretty good at what? Not going up to someone and saying, hey, you're a jerk, right? But we're pretty quick willing to say to our friend over here, hey, Franklin is a jerk. It would change a lot in how I talk about Franklin what I thought about Franklin. First thing I can do, I can do this right now today. Someone who's difficult in my life, I can do it right now. I can start speaking positively about them. It'll change my idea. It'll change my mindset. The second thing I can do right now is this. I can intentionally think and engage. Intentionally think and engage. And here's what I want to encourage you to do this morning is to ask yourself two questions. The first question I want to encourage you to ask yourself is this about the other person. What would I want and do it for them. Why do I say this? Well, Jesus did this thing called the golden rule. Some of you got to think back a long ways to your kindergarten days, right? Think, what did golden rule do for others? What? As you would want them to do to you. Okay, your kindergarten teacher didn't come up with that. that that's Jesus saying, hey, the way you treat others should be a reflection of how you want others to treat you. So, so here's the question. Ask yourself, what would I want? And then do that for the other person. Jesus does something crazy with the golden rule. He knows we're going to think about ourselves. But he flips it on the head and says, okay, if you're going to think about yourself, at least then start doing for others what you're thinking about yourself. And none of us is wishing evil for ourselves, right? Those who wish evil for themselves, what happens? Okay, they're crazy, right? Let's be honest. People who wish evil for themselves... We medicate. We lock them up. We do not wish evil for ourselves. So ask yourself, what do I wish for myself? And then do that for that person. The second intentional thing you can do is this. Ask yourself a simple question about that other person. What's in their best interest? I don't know about you, but I know this is true for me, that when I get into a tough situation with someone and I'm really struggling with an individual for something they've done, something I've done, different personalities, I'm rarely thinking about their best interest. I'm always thinking about, okay, how can I get out of this? How can we just avoid da-da-da-da-da? What can I do to get rid of this situation? Rarely do I say, what's in their best interest? And then work towards that. Have you ever just sat down and intentionally thought, what is in Aunt Martha's best interest? She is really difficult to deal with. Intentional. Intentionally think about the other person and then engage. And then the final thing we can do is this. Pray. 
You're like, obviously, pastor, we can pray. But here's how most of us pray. God, help me not slug Franklin today. God, help Franklin go to the copy machine at a different time today. We got to start praying differently. Have you ever done this? The person who's difficult or different or your enemy, have you ever prayed specifically for them? God, I ask that you'd bless them today. God, I ask that you'd give them that promotion. God, I ask that you would give them a great vacation next week with their family. Pray, pray blessing on them. Pray for good things to happen in their lives. So pray for them specifically, not just fixing, oh, oh Lord, help so-and-so, they're so impatient with me. Help them become a more patient person. Okay, if they ask for prayer and patience, pray for patience for them. But otherwise, pray for blessings in their lives. And the second thing you can pray about is this, pray for yourself. God, help me implement what I've been intentionally thinking about. Help me implement what I've been intentionally thinking about. Today, if you want to fulfill the law of Jesus Christ, to be a representative of Jesus Christ, we need to love those who are different, love those who are difficult, love those who are enemies. And we do that today by what? Not taking a big gulp. Not be like, oh, I've got to hang out with them all the time. I've got to be their companion. We've got to be best friends. No, no, no. That, you don't have to do that. But today you do have to do this. You do have to take a sip. And a sip means this. I'm going to speak positive about them. I'm going to intentionally think about them. And I'm going to pray for them. If there's someone difficult in your life, take a sip today and reflect the love of God to them. The key story of the Bible about God's people is not that God's people make stuff up and then do it, but God's people are a reflection of God himself. In other words, when God says, love others, what it's saying throughout multiple times in the New Testament is this, love as I have loved you. When I was in high school, believe it or not, I was the captain of the basketball team. And I was pretty good, by the way. And, uh, and so, fact, captain of the basketball team, and I had a friend that was a coach in another town. And he'd always ask me how things were going. He asked me one time, he said, hey, how many assists are you averaging a game? He assumed I'm a short guy, so he thought I was a guard passing the ball. And, and I said to him, I, I point two, maybe, zero, maybe. He said, I said how, how do you not have more assists every game? And I looked at him and I said, well, they never give me the ball. You see, to have an assist, what do you got to have? You got to have the ball to pass to someone else. Because you get an assist when you throw it to someone else and they score. You got to have something to pass on, though. The message of the Bible is this pass on to others what God has first given to you. So in Ephesians chapter 5, it says this be imitators of God. As God loved you, go and love others. So what we're doing this next week is we're simply passing on to others what is first given to us. And what was first given to you is this, is that Jesus Christ had a selfless attitude that said, their needs before my own comfort, their good before my own safety. And then Jesus died the perfect death to meet your need for the forgiveness of sin. If someone's having a tough time loving, do you know what that really is? It's a reflection that they're having a tough time receiving love from God the Father. 
Because the Bible tells us that when we receive love, we're going to give love. That's why it says in 1 John that you are the beloved. You are the loved people of God. And now God expects us to pass that love on to others. This morning, have you received God's love first and foremost? You receive God's love by saying, Jesus Christ, I trust in you. I trust in you for the forgiveness of my sins. Jesus, I trust in you for my hope. Jesus, I trust in you for my strength. Because when we trust in Jesus, we're receiving the love of God. And we can pass that love on to others. Let us be people who have hundreds, if not thousands of assists each year. Not assists because points were scored, but assists because love was passed on. God's love was passed on to people who are different, to people who are difficult, and to people who are enemies. Thanks be to God that he loved us first and has empowered us to go out in love on his behalf. Let us pray. Everlasting, loving God, we give thanks today, O Lord, that you loved us first. Lord, this morning we praise you and we give you all of the honor and the glory that your son Jesus selflessly acted on our behalf. God, thank you. And now, God, this morning we come before you asking in the name of Christ that you would put people on our hearts and our minds, people who we tried to shove to the side. God, put them on our hearts and minds right now. I ask, Lord, that you put one person's name, Lord, on each person's mind this morning. And God, we ask now that you would give us an opportunity to pass on to them your love. God, thank you for your patience with us, and we ask now for your spirit to empower us to be lovers. In Jesus' name, amen.